What is author marketing mastery through optimization, you ask? I'm going to tell you. It's the best way for us authors to make a living selling our books. Are you tired of hearing gurus tell you your book is only good enough to be a lead magnet for services? Are you tired of feeling like you have to be a slave to social media and then frustrated when that time doesn't actually help you sell books? I was too, until I found Ammo. Ammo is the only program that reliably produces results and it works for anyone. Is it hard work? You bet. Do you have to overcome some of your own prejudices to make Ammo work for you? Absolutely. But rather than being another program that rah-rah shish-goom-bahs tries to get you emotionally excited only to offer unclear methods, Ammo shows you how to design profitable ads step-by-step step through a unique, never-before-tested formula. The founder, Steve Piper, is a data-loving, formula-driven author who escaped the kingdom of Amazon to build a platform for himself where he sold directly to his readers and built a loyal following. With Ammo, you know who's reading your books, how to contact them, and what they want to read next. If you've always been frustrated with Amazon's wall of mystery, of not knowing who's reading your books, of losing 50 to 70% of the hard-earned money you make through book sales, Ammo solves all of those problems by putting you in the driver's seat and showing you how to fulfill your books directly to your readerships. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. Has it ever crossed your mind that you worry more about what other people think of you than you worry about what you think of yourself? Have you ever been in a moment in your life where you've heard people say, slow down or you're going to experience burnout? And even though there was no sense anywhere in you that burnout was even remotely possible, you slowed down because you were worried that they saw something you didn't? Have you ever been utterly convinced that other people know better than you about what's best for you? There are so many teachers out there who will harp on this reality. I'm using air quotes. You can't see me. That we are self-deceived and we don't know what's best for us. And so we need to learn from them what's right for us. This is TRBM, a podcast for authors who are serious about earning a full-time living selling books to readers. I'm the host, Jody J. Sperling, and each episode, I'll share with you practical tips on marketing and selling your books. And I won't hold anything back. Sometimes I fail. Every time I do, you'll know it. Sometimes I succeed. And when I do, I'll give you my step-by-step -step replay so you can succeed too. Thanks for listening. There are a lot of areas in life where it is helpful to have outside perspective. In fact, I would argue that without outside perspective, the chances that you will achieve your dreams, no matter how large or small, are minute to non-existent. But before you can achieve anything, you have to understand what really exists, what is true of yourself. And you can't rely on anyone else to tell you what is true of you. 
You can rely on people to tell you where you're deceived about what it takes to get where you're going. You can rely on other people to give you a roadmap to get where you want to go. But if you don't know where you want to go, you are not going to get where you hope to be. That almost sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? You want to go somewhere, but you don't know where you're going or how to get there. Think of it this way. Suppose that you live in a little town called Oakland, Nebraska, and you know that you want to get to Omaha, Nebraska. My cat has the zoomies, by the way, if you heard that. There are an abundance of different roads that I can take to get to Omaha. I could literally start heading out north and just go north as long as I could, and eventually I would get to Omaha. That would take me a really long time because I would have to go over a pole and around the other side of the globe, and I would probably have to be on water for an abundant amount of time or in a plane or something because there's oceans between me and Omaha if I go north. But I could do it. Getting where you're going means moving. <laughs> but getting there in the best, least energy cost way is what we should all hope for. See, there was a long time in my life, and you probably can even go back and listen to episodes of this podcast, where I harp on the value of hard work. Um, I've since talked to you about the fact that I take pleasure in hard work. That is still true of me. Hard work is something I like. But when you say, it's going to take a ton of hard work to be a best-selling author, do you know what it's going to take? A ton of hard work. What if you just said, it's going to take as much work as required to be a best-selling author? And then what if you believed that? What if you didn't let somebody else tell you how to get where you're going, but you decided how you were going to get there? My inclination is to tell you that I've never heard of somebody becoming a best-selling author without a lot of hard work, but that would be to forget about somebody like Andy Weir. And it would also be to label what hard work is for one person or another. Let me give an example. I have a really high threshold for work. So I do two podcast episodes a week. Sometimes I have several interviews in a day. I try to do this podcast as in the moment as possible because I think that the Monday episode serves you best when it is right off the top of my head what's happening to me in the moment. There's something magical for me about just taking action on what's on my mind when it comes time to record this episode. So I don't bank these because I don't know where I'll be in two weeks and that requires a certain amount of work. For example, usually you have this episode at 3.33 a.m. Today you're going to have it when I'm able to drop it, but I'm recording it as of 9.08 a.m. It'll be really fresh when you listen to it, if you listen to it today. My point is there are a lot of people out there who feel that it is unreasonably hard work to record two podcast episodes a week. Some people do bi-weekly. Some people do monthly. Your schedule is determined by what you perceive as hard work. Today, I will also clean the whole house because we had two boys' birthday parties and nothing got done around the house, and it is a disaster. I will still write somewhere in the neighborhood of 5,000 words. I'll still get a book reading in. I will do a ton of stuff today and it'll feel busy. It will feel busy to me. It will feel like I never stop until late tonight by the time everything I intend to get done is done. But you know what it won't feel like? Terribly hard work. It won't feel like terribly hard work for me. It would if I continued at that pace 
with no breaks, no novelty, no newness, no changes, then it would start to feel heavy for me. Sometimes I get into Friday going at the basic pace that I'll be going and probably will happen this week with Thanksgiving coming up. I will feel weight and I'll want to relax because that's the other thing. I love hard work, but I am also a champion chiller. (laughs) I love to sit around. In fact, given the opportunity, one of my favorite things to do is just listen to an audiobook with a football game or a baseball game on the TV and like literally do nothing. Just listen to the book, enjoy whatever book I'm, I'm listening to on audio, watching a football game, and like the world can be happening around me and I'm just chilling. I like that as well. And that for me feels great. But here's something else to think about. Have you ever chilled so much that it felt tiring? Have you ever chilled so much that you're exhausted? It can be hard work to chill. (laughs) The language that we speak sometimes is limited. Obviously, it's not hard work to chill, but it can be exhausting to chill and it can be exhausting to do hard work in the exact same way. I've had times before where I've been a little too aimless and my body literally feels fatigued from doing nothing. Like the muscles are just like, oh, I can't possibly do anything after doing nothing for so long. And it's the same feeling as getting off the treadmill and being like, wow, I'm really fatigued. I can't hardly lift my legs. The point that I hope you're getting is that your experience needs to be what is at the foundation of what you do. If it's hard work, then change what you're doing to lighten the load, but don't change the destination. If you want to get there faster, figure out what you need to do to get there faster. If you want to go higher, figure out what you need to do to go higher. And I guarantee once you know where you want to go, you can find the people to get you there. But if you don't know where you want to go, you can't find the people to get you there. A mantra that I've repeated to myself quite a bit lately through highs and lows is I am sober, light, and free. Those words each have an abundance of meaning for me. Sober is not just not drinking alcohol. Sober is not giving in to magical thinking. And we can define magical thinking not as having what other people would call unrealistic expectations. Magical thinking is saying I can do X, Y, and Z and still get A, B, and C when those two things are contrary. You can't put ice in your cup and drink hot coffee. That's magical thinking. That's the best example I can give you with that. And it's it's impossible. So where was I? God darn it, this happens sometimes when you're in the midst of things. Um, I am sober, light, and free. I am sober, light, and free. Sober is not just not drinking alcohol. Sober is not just not using uh, other drugs, which I love all kinds of drugs. I'm never going to back away from that. If you're new to this podcast, uh, I try to be really honest that things like psychedelics have actually contributed to my journey and where I'm at and under medical supervision and used as they are intended and not just recreational things, I think that things like psychedelics can be incredibly helpful. Uh, There's a lot of studies you can read about curing depression and helping people get perspective on life, not fearing death. I mean, there's so many things. So 
I'm a fan of drugs. I like them. I think that they are useful. You're probably a fan of drugs too if you have a kid who's on uh, Ritalin or Adderall. Um, if you yourself are taking something to combat type 2 diabetes or hypertension, you're a fan of drugs. You just have a difference in your brain about how you think about them. So setting that on the table, sober is the use of any substance only to enhance the correct view of the world around us to escape magical thinking. Sobriety covers a vast scope of the world. Sobriety is not eating 10,000 calories, but then claiming you want to be thin. All right, light, sober, light, and free. I am light. Light for me does actually mean weight. I'm not as heavy as I currently am. My body feels heavy to me because I've really been going all out with food. Um, the other night I was talking with my wife, we were doing our evening walk, and I said, sometimes I think about going back to cigarette smoking because when I smoked, I was thin and I had remained thin my entire life. Uh, I would go to the gym and exercise, but as a cigarette smoker, I just didn't gain a lot of weight because I didn't, I didn't like, I don't know, fuss and eat all the time. And I stayed relatively thin all through smoking anything, even when I changed to vaping, I just stayed thin after I quit vaping. I started gaining weight. Now, there's people who don't gain weight when they quit smoking. It's a common side effect of quitting smoking because your fingers want to be busy at something and so you snack a lot more and you're looking for that pleasure high, that hit, that opposite of sobriety. And you can get it from food. And I've done that. I'm guilty. I've gained a ton of weight. Um, fully clothed, standing on the scale at the hotel this week for the when the boys were at the birthday party. I was 262 pounds. So that felt really discouraging. Um, that's 12 pounds more than I thought it was. And I'm, I'm closer to 300 now than I am to 200, which is terrifying. I've got a lot of work to do, folks, in, in getting back under control and being light. My body feels heavy. I hate this feeling. So being heavy for me is a lack of sobriety, as well as it's the opposite of light. So I want to be sober, light, and free. And free has all kinds of connotations. Free means free to spend what I want, free to, ironically enough, eat what I want, free to drink what I want. Um, I've got a good friend named Randy right now that we're having some, some conversations about real actual sobriety from alcohol, the kind of where you're like, I think alcohol's a, a problem for me. And so free means I get to eat and drink what I want, but that my wants are aligned with honest, sober thinking. Free means spending money like I want and wanting to spend money in ways that are beneficial to me, to my wife, to my children, to my future, to the world around me, to my neighbors, to my city, to my town, to people with problems. I mean, listen, I am no hater of millionaires and billionaires. I am cheering for there to be somebody in the United States who uh, has a net worth of a trillion dollars. I think that would be fantastic. I think that would be great. Hopefully the person who does that is also incredibly generous and giving. I'm not the kind of person who looks at the wealthy and thinks, oh, we should tax them and tax and tax and tax and take all of their wealth and distribute it to the poor. I'm not that kind of person. I believe that you are worth your wages. I believe that the work you do is worth the wages you earn. And if you want to make more money, 
I believe that you can figure that out. And if it's important to you to have more money, there are things you can do, and it doesn't even mean you have to work hard. But I also believe that for me to be sober, light, and free, there needs to be a point where money is not just about amassing a net worth, that money is not just about having. Money is not even about being protected from catastrophe, though the word free is embedded in that. I want to be free to take care of my family no matter what happened. If one of my sons were to ever end up with cancer, I would never want to think, how am I going to afford this? I would want to be able to pick up the phone and call the rarest doctor in the country. Uh, and when I say rare, just that person who has that bleeding edge, cutting edge understanding of cancer. And I would want to say, hey, come to a house call. Money's not an object. My son needs to survive. I would want to have that kind of money. And if you don't want that for your own family or for yourself, I, I just don't even understand that kind of a person. You know, because I'm, I'm hearing right now and in the middle of this episode, voices of people speaking to me and saying, um, you know, imagine what all of those millions of dollars could do for, for starving people when instead you're going to spend hundreds of millions on your own son's cancer. Well, yes, in fact, I am. And I'm going to be happy to do it. So that's my goal is to get to that place. I want to be free to spend whatever it takes to make sure that my family is prosperous. I want to be free to go where I want, when I want, with who I want. Any time I want, that when I want is so sneaky because you think of it in this future tense, but I'm talking at any time. Like I could quit recording this podcast and be like, I feel like going to Austin, Texas right now because I bet it's warm there. Oh, what do you want? Who are you? There's a sneaky compound word called self-awareness. We get all tangled up in it. We get all mashed up in it because we think that, that self-awareness in and of itself means something. Self-awareness means nothing unless you then use that self-awareness to get where you're going. When you are self-aware, suppose, for example, that you are aware that you eat too much and you want to change that and lose some weight. You then find somebody who has the tools and the roadmap to help you stop eating so much because if you're self-aware and you eat too much, you know that the choices you're making are not getting you where you want to go and therefore you must not have the information needed to go there. It's not about willpower. If you're self-aware, you understand it's not about willpower. This is, this is one of the most interesting things. There's no such thing as willpower. There's only the roadmap that is correct for you. Why do you think that there is intermittent fasting, water fasting, keto, uh, why do you think that there's a low-fat diet? Why do you think that there are a thousand ways to lose weight? Calorie counting, carnivore, vegetarian, vegan. It's because there are right ways for right people. You got to pair up what is right for you with your goals. And being self-aware will tell you a lot about what's right for you. I can really expand. I'm not going to expand on this, but understanding who you are and where you want to be gives you the ability to see who can help you get where you want to go. That's where self-awareness really blossoms into something special and profound. Now, this is a podcast about publishing and books, and I don't really even touch on it up until almost 20 minutes in. It's because if you're listening to this episode, life has a lot of facets. Your whole life is not writing. Your whole life is not publishing. Your whole life is not marketing your books. I'm fully of the belief 
that having a roadmap includes how does your family fit into your writing? How do your friends fit into your writing? How do your readers fit into your writing? How many readers do you want? How do you want them to engage with your book and consume it? Are you valuing the page or the screen or the earbud? And if you value the screen, do you value moving pictures or static words or something else? You'll be really surprised by how understanding these questions, this self-awareness, will shape the journey you take. I've been thinking a lot about ammo. You probably heard the ad already. Um, and if you've heard it a million times, maybe today's the day you clicked on it. And you learned that Steve Piper can all but guarantee if you join his program and learn his methods, you will sell lots of audiobooks, excuse me, ebooks, also audiobooks. Um, there are people in the program who also sell uh, an abundance of paperbacks, but for the most part, you're going to sell ebooks. That's what the program exists to do. And there's a lot of profit margin in ebooks. People who buy ebooks uh, give you 90% of the profit if you do the program like Ammo teaches you. But if you're a person like me, and for reasons you don't fully understand, you've never been able to dial in paperback sales, you're always going to feel like something is missing. Self-awareness. I love paper. Self-awareness. I love audio. I love audio so much that unless I have to read a book without an audiobook present, I won't. I mean, like, it has to be an absolute necessity. There's no such thing as an audiobook, and I have to read the book. There are a few that I've read this year that that's the case. And even then, more often than not, I two-finger swipe on a screen, so I find an ebook of it, and I have the, like, AI voice read it to me out loud. And it's never good, but it's better than having nothing. I just do so much better when I'm holding a copy of the book and listening to it being read to me and participating in the reading of, of the book with my mind at the same time as a voice is speaking to me. That's how I consume books. Knowing that about myself, every book I have currently published that has an audiobook in it now has a QR code on the very first page where you can get a free copy of the corresponding audiobook. There are a lot of people who would say, well, Jody, you're leaving a ton of money on the table by doing that. And you're probably right. I am leaving money on the table because nobody has to buy my audiobook unless they just want the audiobook. Because here's the reality. There are a ton of people out there who don't want to read paper. My wife is one of those people. Almost every book she reads, in fact, I can't remember the last time I caught her with a physical book in her hand, but she reads hundreds of books a year via audiobook. So she would buy my book and readers like her would buy the audiobook. Self-aware. What do you want? Would you be satisfied if all your readers were audiobook listeners? Would you be satisfied if all your readers were paperback readers? Would you be satisfied if all your readers were ebook readers? The reason these questions are important is because you are going to be chasing a difficult dream already, and if you get somewhere and realize you weren't meant to be there, that's going to be pretty disappointing. Not only that, but how can you measure a sense of progress if you're going the wrong direction? Calling all self-published authors. If you live in the United States and you've always wanted to see your books in bookstores, this may be the most important ad you'll hear in 2023. Listen carefully. No matter where you are in your publishing journey, it's not too early to position yourself to pursue brick and mortar bookstore distribution. But if you're a self-published author, you've probably heard, getting your books in stores is next to impossible. 
That's no longer the case. For just $5, you'll receive a lifetime membership to the self-published author co-op. When you join, you'll have access to a members-only community with a detailed roadmap on how to get your books ready for bookstore distribution. Joining our community does not guarantee bookstore distribution, as there's a limited availability each month to be a featured author. And that's why the cost of a lifetime membership is less than a cup of coffee. Whether you're just about to publish your first book, or you're selling thousands of copies a month, if you don't have your books in bookstores, the Self-Published Author Co-op is the easiest, most efficient way to get national distribution of your books. Click the link in the show notes to join now. I mean, again, you go far enough north, you're going to wrap around the whole globe and get where you are going, but that's a lot more time spent, that's a lot more work, that's a lot more yada, 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 so on and so forth. Having the roadmap helps. This is really important when it comes to questions like, how many readers do you want? How do you want to engage with your readers? Questions I asked earlier. If you want a million readers, what kind of actions do you need to take to get a million readers? If you want to have a real, some kind of relationship with your readers, do you need to have a newsletter? Do you need to have a podcast? Do you need to appear on other people's podcasts? Do you need to go to bookstores? Do you need to go to conventions and expos? How do you want to appear to your readers? These questions will dictate how you start to build your life. And if you don't address them, then don't be surprised when you don't get where you want to be. I had a uh, acquaintance, fellow writer. She writes mysteries. She's a bestseller on Amazon. She does not want to be on podcasts. She does not want to appear in front of her readers. She wants to pump out books and she wants her readers to read her books, enjoy them and get the next one. She's remarkably successful at that. I think about her journey and I think there's no way that that would be satisfying to me. I wouldn't care that hundreds of thousands of dollars were coming in the door and, and she has literally hundreds of thousands of dollars coming in the door from Amazon every month because of her book sales. Quite a bit of it's going out the door to buy the ads on Amazon. But I mean, she's making a, a lucrative living as an author selling mostly eBooks, but some paperbacks. Um, she doesn't even necessarily care that much that she's not getting the reader information. She's really focused on just running an ad not putting too much energy or effort into it, getting the readers and writing the next book. She wants to be out of the public eye. If that were me, I would feel deeply unfulfilled because I want the actual relationship, the engagement with my readers. So important to know that because if you get to where she is, but you were trying to get where I want to go, it's going to be disappointing. It's great to pay the bills, but the best way that I can explain this feeling for you, if, if it's not already hitting home, is imagine being in a job where you made the most money you've ever made, but going into work was torture because you hated the kind of work you had to do. It's hard to believe that you could be a best-selling author and feel like you'd created that for yourself, but I can promise you that I have experienced a taste of that with the author journey. It's been Spending, spending, spending a lot of time writing stuff that I didn't want to write because I thought it was what I had to do to get the attention that I wanted. So be clear on what you want. Don't let people tell you anymore what is right for you, what is good for you. One thing I'm pretty sure I know is that if you want millions of readers, 
you're going to have to do some pretty uncommon things. You're going to have to be willing to engage in some pretty uncommon behaviors. And when I talk about that, I mean, you're going to have to, I mean, you don't have to listen, listen, just, just hear me out here. It is very likely that if you want millions of readers, you have to be willing to work 16, 18 hour days pretty frequently. You have to be willing to travel pretty excessively. You have to be willing to do a lot of unpalatable things. You're going to have to look like somebody who's always on the verge of burnout. You're going to look like somebody who is spending recklessly on advertisements. You're going to look like somebody who is reckless and careless with the, you know, gambles that you make. And I, I say gambles again with air quotes because to outside people, these choices are going to look crazy. People are going to be like, oh, how much do you really make though? How much do you net? Okay. Because if you spend $200,000, but you only make $210,000. Well, then my cousin Johnny who works at McDonald's is actually richer than you. Yeah, yeah. Only in present dollars for one, but the money you spend is still creating jobs for people at Amazon. It's creating pleasure for readers. Um, I, I'm not, again, going to expand on that. But if you have a $210,000, or excuse me, a $200,000 expense line and you make $210,000, you are winning hugely because you are, you are personally by yourself paying for people to live their lives and do what's meaningful to them. So good on you. Good on you. You're way more valuable than cousin Johnny, who's making $10,000 a year at McDonald's, not thinking about anybody, but the next joint that he's going to smoke. Sorry, cousin Johnny. Get your life together. All right, I've clearly started to amp up the emotions. It's because I feel this, and I hope you feel this too. I hope you feel this. Feel the sense that what you're meant to do matters, that you can't let anybody stand in judgment over you. You get to decide what you do, and you get to decide the terms by which you do it. This is the truth. Stephen King did very little publicity for all of his writing life. He has been willing to do something that many authors are not willing to do, and that is to sell the rights to his books so that they can be made into screen plays, adapted for the big screen, adapted for television. He's been involved with a lot of those things, but if somebody wants to buy the rights and do whatever they want to do, he's always done that. He decided for himself that no adaptation of his books to the screen were a... Uh, representation of the books that he wrote. He said they're different products. They may have the same name. They may say, you know, from the, the mind of Stephen King comes, blah, blah, blah. But he decided they were different things. And he's been remarkably successful as much because of the number of things that he wrote that ended up on the screen as anything else. He didn't want to go out there and do the publicity tours. He didn't want to be in the public eye in that way. He's also been remarkably available, especially of late, to his fans on Twitter. He's been remarkably available through readings, um, lectures, conversations in auditoriums. Uh, he'll be on TV programs. He'll do interviews. He's engaged in those ways, but he never wanted to be the guy who was hawking books at a Comic-Con. And he didn't have to because of certain choices, the time he was born, uh, just the way the publishing world worked. But listen, listen, listen. I keep saying this listen thing. I want you to hear it. And I don't know if you will, but I want you to. His road to success is not closed. His path to success is not closed. Just no one else has figured out how to do it. I bet you, if you had the musings of Stephen King 
from Carrie through to Holly. <laughs> he likes single word titles uh, with women's names, apparently. From Carrie all the way to Holly. I bet you, you could get a fairly clear picture of what it takes to do things the way that he's done them and repeat that process just the same way that he did. You can become an author who does most of their career with just Viking. You could become the author who is represented by a press and doesn't have to make all of the choices that some of us do. Those authors still exist. You've heard it said that that is disappearing, but it's not disappearing. Things are shifting, but that's because most of us want them to shift. We are currently in a state where the majority opinion is a certain way that, you know, they're, they're not house authors anymore, um, or not very many of them. I just wanted to point that out, that his path is not closed. It's just currently not popular. If I can do anything for you today, if you can leave this 35 minutes with something inside of you that's more oriented to where you want to be, what I want to do for you is to give you freedom to dismiss the person who is standing over you right now telling you that you are crazy for wanting what you want. Whoever just came to mind for you, whoever that person is, I want to give you permission to tell that person off in any way that seems correct to you. Tell that person to get lost. If somebody comes to your mind and you don't know how to tell that person off in a respectful and loving way, and it is your desire to do that, reach out to me. Um, I have some experience telling people off and it is liberating and it is freeing. And sometimes those people come back and it was the telling off that got them to examine their life and apologize for things that they had done and restore relationships. Sometimes telling people off is the way to get where you need to go. So if that's something that you need, I would love to hear from you. Shoot me an email, jodyjsperling at gmail.com. Comment on Substack. If you follow me here on Substack and listen to the podcast locally, let me know that there's somebody you'd love to tell off. We can arrange a conversation. I will clear space on my calendar to talk with you if there's somebody you need to tell off. I can't promise you I have your answer, but I can promise you that I will listen, that I will hear, and that I will support you telling that person off in a respectful and loving way because it can be really important. And when people try to tell you how to live and you know that they are wrong and that they are hurting you and that they are holding you back, yes, take the power back yourself. But part of taking the power back is getting that voice out of your head, getting that voice away from you, taking distance, getting space. All right. Uh, you will hear from us again on Wednesday. I've got a great interview coming from you, uh, for you. And other than that, Thanksgiving. I hope if you celebrate Thanksgiving that you have a wonderful time. I know that I'm looking forward to eating stuffing uh, with some delicious gravy. And I also know that I am going to stay committed through now until March 12th to be 185 pounds. I posted it on Twitter, wanted to say it right here, 265 to 185 by March 12th. That is just a little over four pounds a week. Some people claim that that's not healthy. Uh, you can argue with me if you want. Feel free to comment, email me. You already have all that information like a million times. So tell me that I'm unhealthy, but um, that is what we're going to do. And uh, I'm going to generally keep you abreast of how things are going for me and my weight loss journey. There you have it. Lots of love. We'll talk again shortly.
Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening? <laughs>